1: Play for free at
0: Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Boyd were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie, and this is Before the Box Score. We are done with the FCS you ask BK, officially the season can start now because that thing that happened on Thursday doesn't come for anything, doesn't mean anything, so much so that he wasn't even there. Uh, But, hey, he watched it while he was on vacation. BK, welcome back. How are you doing, friend?
1: I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be here. I'm glad that we're talking about closer to real football. That's going to be enjoyable. Listen, Middle Tennessee, while should be a gimme win, is like a real football team. So It's closer. Like, there's a line that will be posted on this game from Vegas. So for that reason, and maybe that reason alone, this is much closer to real organized football that is being played. Next week is when the real fun begins. I don't know about for Mizzou, but for football. fans,
2: Well, shades of 2003 and 2016 are racing through my brain right now as middle Tennessee comes back to Columbia, but we'll get to that later. We need to talk about position battles and specifically the quarterback because I think it's officially done, RIP quarterback battle, uh, August of 2023 to September 5th of 2023 is officially done. The death chart, an updated death chart was released today, and the magical or word was removed between our boy Brady Cook and our boy Sam Horn. So it is Brady Cook officially one, Sam Horn officially two, this has been verbally confirmed by Eli Drinkwitz at the Tiger Talk thing that he's doing right now with the barbecue joint. Here we are, BK. I I know the rhetoric around this battle has been active, a little emotional at times. Flummoxed, I think, is what a lot of people are thinking. But like I said in my piece today, this battle has not just the FCS game. It's been the entire spring, and it's been all of fall. And here we are. So what are your initial thoughts of Brady Cook officially being QB1? Tried to tell y'all. Tried to warn you. This
1: is never a battle. Um, I mean, it was. And Sam Horn had his opportunities. And Garcia had his opportunities. And they failed. I don't know how many times Eli Drinkwitz has to make it very clear by reading between the lines before we all start to internalize it. The best quarterback on this team, at least through the eyes of this coaching staff, is Brady Cook. And they have tried it every turn to make that not the case. And I think this is where people get it flat out wrong. And I'm not trying to sound like hoity-toity, but I have to be, I guess, because nobody seems to be wanting to listen. Um, they have every incentive to play Sam Horn. Every incentive. That is their quarterback that they went out and got, that is a highly touted, highly recruited athlete from the school that – didn't Travis Hunter go to the same school as him? Mm-hmm. He's a wide receiver. Like, this dude was on a national scale, big-time recruiting win for Mizzou. I think I called it at the time the biggest recruiting win for Eli Drinkwitz over Luther Burden, because it felt like he had landed his future quarterback that was going to erase the problems that they had at the position and it be their long-term answer at that position. So that's the guy that he is saying is not good enough to beat out the guy that he inherited in Brady Cook. And we think that Eli Drinkwitz is stacking the deck in favor of Brady Cook. Why? Say, just do the say-it-aloud test. Why would he do that? He is the one that has brought in countless transfers to try to beat out Brady Cook. He is the one that all offseason said, this is a wide-open competition. This is a wide-open competition. And at every step, Brady Cook whooped him. It was just a better player. So at some point, we have to be willing to accept, hey, Brady Cook might be better. And I don't know what that says about these other guys. It might speak not too highly of these other guys, whatever your opinion is of Brady Cook. I also think it speaks pretty well to Brady Cook. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe he's just not as bad as some people are suggesting. I thought he looked pretty good in this game. I just totally disagreed with a lot of the analysis that surrounded how he played. I thought the touchdown throw that he had to Makai Miller was the single best throw that I've seen from him in a Missouri uniform. It's a fantastic throw, layering over a defender. Into the end zone, taking a chance on a deeper throw, and people just kind of like overlooked it as if that's a throw that every quarterback makes. It's not. He barely even ran in that game. Like that wasn't even a big piece of what he tried to accomplish. And we know that's probably the best piece of his game. So I say, "Hello, let's this." I was not surprised that this was the decision that they ultimately made. They told us this with their actions, not their words, going into the last game by putting Brady Cook in first and having the game determined by the time that we saw Sam Horn. But for them to make it as public as it is and for them to basically close this thing out by week two, I think that tells you everything you need to know when they were incentivized to have this go the other way.
2: And I think it speaks to Sam Horn's ability that he does have some ability. He did get to the point where the coaching staff was openly saying, Yeah, we're going to have a competition. It is going to be open. And, you know, you get, again, you got to realize this has been going on since fall. And Sam Horn had, yeah, he was injured in the spring, but he had spring, he had summer, he had fall to do this. This is all a, you know, a culmination of all of that, not just one game. So the fact that Sam Horn was good enough to push Brady Cook is an excellent thing. And I think, you know, for a for a staff that is actively trying to get him in there, like you said, I think they are, maybe they're putting the finger on the weight a little bit uh, to give him the shot, but he still earned it. And, you know, however you want to talk about what we saw on Thursday, I mean, even if you want to complain about the reps, the plays called, that's all fine. Even when given a chance, Sam's was just not as good. As Brady Cook, I put it in the Beyond the Box score today. I broke down basically everything that you can think of: time of possession, total possessions, total plays, total yards, yards per play, offensive success rate, rushing success rate, passing success rate, turnovers, touchdowns, how the running game featured with both of them, who carried the ball when they were on, when they were playing quarterback, the sacks taken, the passing plays, the everything I could think of, and other than passing yards per play in which Sam Horn had 11 and Brady Cook had 7.3. Other than that, Brady Cook was better across the board. And I don't know what to tell you. Again, there's a ton of practice film that is lumped in with the game film. This is all going into that. So we saw 22 plays of what I'm sure is like 500 plays that they have, they have analyzed these guys and it still wasn't good enough. So don't think that Sam Horn is done. Don't think that we're never going to see him for the rest of the year. I think this coaching staff is absolutely going to work him in. Maybe in blowout situations, maybe in pressure situations. I don't know, but they do want this kid to succeed. They want him here because like you said, it's one of their best recruiting wins. As far as NIL investment, I'm pretty sure it's a decent amount. Also, he's on the baseball team. So if you think he's going to transfer, he needs to find a team that's going to let him transfer to be the quarterback and a pitcher at the same school. And I'm not sure if there's any other school out there or very many schools out there that are going to do that. So don't worry about that. Eli has shown a propensity to bring in guys to challenge the guys that are already there. He brought in two. Neither one of them worked. Brady Cook at this point is better. And that is okay. We want the best player to play. Maybe Sam Horn's the better passer. Sure, he looks prettier. He looks more accurate fine. Brady Cook is the better quarterback. He is a captain. He is a leader of this team. He's been here since 2020. That is hard to stamp out. So he is our guy going forward, and frankly, I'm okay with it. Just understand that we will see Sam Horn for the rest of the year too.
1: Yeah, I would also say this. I I think Sam Horn is much more likely to end up in the MLB draft a year from now than he is to be in another team's football program. Like they were saying on this uh, on this week's broadcast that they talked to their um, what's it called, the uh, uh,
2: their analysis MLB the draft, draft. Yeah. yeah,
1: Kylie McDaniel, and he said that he thinks he's a first round pick. Well, first of all, I'm not sure that's true. I don't believe
2: that, but sure, yeah.
1: I, I mean, if that guy certainly Kylie McDaniel like does this stuff for a living, that this, this is all he does. Yeah, And if he believes that to be true, well, then he's going to be a baseball player. Like I don't even know why we're wasting our time with this at at a certain point, maybe just because he wants to play football for now, but there's going to come a point in time where he's going to have a, you know, $20 million decision to make. And that decision for a lot of people is not particularly hard. You, you go play baseball. I mean, I can think of countless times where this has been made for the guys. So um, I, I think that that's probably the way this is headed. And Honestly, just for myself, I'm excited to see what Brady Cook can do, just selfishly, because I think the guy has gotten an unfair rap from Mizzou fans based on a bad game against K-State, and I don't think Mizzou fans ever gave him a chance after that. I think they just soured on him after that K-State game, and especially after the Florida game, Mm -hmm. and then the rest of the way, it didn't matter what what happened, and the guy was playing on one shoulder, so I I think he can be a more than capable SEC quarterback this year.
2: I mean the just the the what he brings with his mobility makes a huge difference. We saw what a someone with limited mobility can do, and you know, Sam was fine, 3 3 runs, 0% success rate by the way. Um it's just that's a dynamic that that Brady has that that Sam doesn't have at this point. Can I ask
1: you a separate thing playing time wise uh, sure. about what happened in this game specifically on offense that yeah. bothered me a little bit and I want to know if it bothered you and I think it probably did.
2: Um, what happened to playing the young guys? No, see, that's that's the problem. That's one of the best things that can happen with them deciding that the competition is done, because now, if you get up against Middle Tennessee, you see the young guys. In this effort to give them, you know, control your variables, they kept the ones out there so they could see what Sam could do with the ones in live fire, which, yeah, if you really want to test it, that's fine, but also... We didn't see Tavoris Jones. We didn't see Jamal Roberts. We didn't see Dennis Jackson. We didn't see Josh Manny. We didn't see Logan Riker. We didn't see literally anybody on the offense that was other than a one. And Marquise Johnson
1: got one snap. Dennis Jackson got five snaps. Jordan Harris, who people were talking about all camp, got nine. Brett Norfleet, who people were talking about all, all camp long, got 14 total snaps. Marcellus Johnson, who transferred in and for a portion of camp was considered to be the starter, got seven snaps, and I think like three of them were as the extra offensive lineman, kind of similar to what they saw last year. So, like Marcellus Johnson's not the guy I'm arguing for here. He's not a young player. But this is the game where you get the young guys the chances. And I thought they had learned their lesson on this from a year ago, and they just didn't. And that was pretty frustrating for me.
2: Unless they think they can do it this week. In which case, I'd tell you, risky, A. But B, no. D- I, there's These too they- much young talent here to just sit and like, well, we're going to wait because we got to figure out our quarterback competition. That does not seem like a smirk. If
1: this was something, though, on, if it was exclusive to the offense, I'd totally agree with you. They did it on defense, too. The young guys defensively didn't really see the fields. Tristan Newsom saw nine snaps in the game. Mm-hmm. like who's the young defensive lineman that got opportunities in that one nobody not a single not one of Mr. them.
2: Firestone not any of them yet. yeah not Marquise Chris Rachel didn't even yeah. see any city see,
1: see any snaps like he saw snaps last year in these kinds of games so it's just yeah at, at the end of the day is it the biggest thing in the world no is it silly that they didn't get them a single snap? Yeah, it's absurd, and it's not because of the quarterback thing. This is a philosophical belief by the coaching staff that they're just going to get their guys the most number of snaps possible, and that's fine until you need one of these other guys to play, and then it screws
2: you. I guess for all those awards that these guys are potentially going to win, you need as much exposure and numbers that you can get. Yeah, I just yeah, I I was very upset that we we couldn't even see Tavorez Jones. Couldn't even see Jamal Roberts. Couldn't yeah, find Jamal Roberts of all here. people.
1: Like, get him in there. You, you, they, they were talking all camp about how he was somebody that was going to be a legit player. Danish Jackson. What, what are we doing here?
2: Brett Norfley and Jordan Harris could not stop getting written about. And then Tyler Stevens is the tight end that got two targets, two catches. Like mm-hmm. okay. Well Marquis Gracial, dude. Gotta I, get him out there.
1: I, I just the, the other one that really just chapped me was Vim talking all camp. Eli Drinkwitz coming on my radio show and saying, "Hey, the guy that everybody's going to be talking about this year is Tristan Newsom," and he gets nine snaps, nine. And I'm not even telling you he's a great player. But when you're coming out and saying publicly, "This is a guy that every Mizzou fan's going to know midway through the season," and then you barely play him in your in your weakest opponent or against the weakest opponent that you have on the schedule, I can't roll my eyes hard
2: enough. I mean, I guess we're just never going to see him—not until next year, or until someone dies. I don't know. And this was
1: without one of your linebackers.
2: I know you played Chuck Hicks, who's not going to be here next year. So you know, Damian Wilson yeah. got some rotation, but you know he'll be back. Before. Well, he had a start. He did. He had a start because they didn't have um, Chad Bailey. And Chad Bailey, and now Chuck Hicks is going to be a starter next this week. Of course. So, why not? We only play guys who graduate. But anyways, the the team looked pretty good. Really the defense played really
1: well. I, I'll give them that. The defense played really well in that one.
2: The most impressive thing about the defense, and we're just going to talk about the game now because I don't we don't need to wait. I think the most impressive thing about the defense is that they did it without Havoc. This was their second lowest Havoc output under the Blake Baper, Blaker era. The first being 9% against K-State last year. And this is the lowest Havoc rate they've had in a win since... Abilene Christian last year, in which they had 19%, and they had 12. 12. 12.4, I think, is what it was. Hell, South Dakota had 12.9% havoc. (laughs) So, like, they did it without – they broke up one pass. They had a couple TFLs, no interceptions, no fumbles. You know, just just get taking care of business, man. That's all I did. This was an
1: Alabama defense type of performance where it's just like, hey, go out there, stuff the run, make sure that they don't complete passes deep, like just – they had one big play against them, and I think it was a blown coverage. And otherwise, like, 35 carries for 38 yards, dude. And I know that includes some sacks in there, but, like, that's super impressive by your defense. Yes. Super impressive. Especially without your best linebacker against the run.
2: If you, if you want to take out sacks, it was 32 rushes for 75 yards. Travis Tice, that little red-headed kid mm-hmm. from South Dakota, he had 17 carries... Six, six of those carries were met before he even crossed the line of scrimmage, wow. and it was incredible that there was only two tackles for loss. He, a burly mofo, and was able to fall forward and avoid like a loss. But like six of those zero or negative yardage runs out of. Do his you size. have their success rate on those? Do, do you want to guess at what it was? Ten percent, fifteen. Okay, it's, okay, it's better. I'm going to say twenty-one percent over or under.
1: I mean obviously I'm gonna, I'm going to say under because it it okay. felt really
2: low. Okay. So they ended up with an 18.8% success rate. However, their first successful rush didn't come until 5 minutes left in the second quarter. Jeez.
1: I mean it was not do- that's as dominant as you can get in this kind of a game. It's exactly what you want to see from your defense. So if there was one side of the ball to be excited about, it it was that one. And let's be honest, like the offense looks fine in the first half and yeah. then they just shut everything down.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it helps that uh, that Josh, whatever their offensive coordinator's name was, he literally only called runs on the first down. And I think they really started figuring that out. Like uh, uh, tendencies. Tendencies. Um, I wonder. <laughs> I was like, who are you, Eli Drinkwitz? Come on, man. Anyway, um, so let's let's talk about play calling since I just brought it up. As another thing that I've heard some flack about, where it's like it looked like an Eli Drinkwitz offense, and we got Kirby Moore to not be. And Eli Drinkwood's offense. BK, I'll let you take this one. Go ahead.
1: I mean, guys, this was the offense. I told you that this is what Kirby Moore did. The offenses aren't that dissimilar. They, they aren't. Like, there's are some things that, that they do at Fresno that are slightly different in terms of the plays that they lean on. And we saw some of those. We saw Luther Burden running deep overs. That's a really fun thing to have at this offense. Um, but it's going to be a lot of bubbles. It's going to be a lot of crossers. It's going to be a lot of RPOs. It's going to be a lot of quick hitches. Like get the ball into your quarterback's hands, use him as a point man and get the ball into your playmaker's hands as quickly as humanly possible. Uh, the zone plays off tackle. That's still going to be a thing because it's a thing in like every offense in America running split zone, running duo up the middle. Like all of this stuff is the staples of every offense in America. So if you don't like it, it's because you don't like football. And that's okay. But like, this is what 95% of teams are running nowadays. If you want to go to the option, go to the option. But like, I'm trying to search for this magical offense that so many fans are in, see- that have been seeking. I haven't seen it, man. I-, I don't know where it's at.
2: Man, inside zone is like the staple of the Bryles offense, which last I checked pretty much succeeds everywhere you go. Outside zone is the one running play Mike Leach and Dana Holgerson call. Like, of your prolific offensive minds, those are the run plays that they use. Chris Peterson used outside zone at Boise and Washington to, like, 100 billion wins and, like, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Like, no, this isn't complicated. It might look boring, but, my God, it's a staple. And I understand, like, the, the deep passing wasn't there. Well, a couple things. Number one, maybe you didn't want to take the deep passing. Number two, South Dakota was playing deep the entire time. They were playing quarters, like, almost the entire time. What do you want them to do? Just toss it up? You're in a quarterback competition. You got to win this, baby. And Brady Cook did what he did. And he was like, take the reads. Take what you got. We saw impressive passes to Nathaniel Pete, to Cody Schrader. We saw Luther Burden jump up and get a few, which was super cool. You know, Theo Weiss didn't have a lot of success, but we saw him targeted a lot, like, I don't care. It was an FCS game. You had two different quarterbacks. It was the first game of the season. And by the way, Kirby Moore offense is very similar to Eli Drinkwitz. Like, who cares? If it works, you're not going to care. If it doesn't work, he's going to get fired. So I just – I don't see – I don't get it. Seems like a whole lot of nothing to me.
1: Yeah, I I think a lot of the time people are just – I think the offense honestly looked a lot like the 07 offense in terms of what they were trying to accomplish – it's it's very quick throws get the ball out of the quarterback's hands get it into your playmakers hands and get get some yak that's half of the offenses in college football like their their philosophy is very similar to what Ole Miss is trying to do what like half of the Pac-12 at this point is trying to do like it's just I I think people sometimes just complain to complain and part of it is complaining because in the second half, they kind of shut it down. And yeah. and that affected what you saw out of Sam Horn. I, I think that is where the biggest complaint is coming from. Because the first half, like, Brady Cook completed 17 of 21 passes for 175 yards. What exactly are we upset about there? That's, that's one half of football. He attempted 21 throws and had 175 yards. Seems pretty good. I don't care. By that, by
2: two, you're over 300, like he was last year.
1: That's great. You love to see it. Luther Burden, seven catches for 95 yards, and did real wide receiver stuff for the first time in his college career. (laughs) Pretty cool. Makai Miller had one of the better plays that we've seen from him. Like I just, I don't really have any complaints, man. I I know a lot of people came away like very upset about that game. I'm not there with you. I, I nothing about my opinion of the team changed, but that's a good thing because yeah. the only thing if it changed the only way that it could change is something went wrong.
2: Yep, because it's an FCS game. Yep. I agree. Can we talk about Harrison Mewis though? Because like I'm feeling for Clint. I'm freaking out a little bit. And I I wrote about this in Beyond the Box Score. I I don't know what's wrong with him and I don't know if it's mental or physical. But he has not been the same kicker. Really since 2021, but really since the Georgia game of 22, when he went 5-for-5. And I look back, and from his career, from when he first stepped on campus through Georgia of last year, he was 86% accuracy on field goals. Just flat out, whether it's under 40, over 40, 86% accuracy. Incredible. Since then, since the Georgia game, starting in Florida of 22 and moving forward through South Dakota of 23, He's at a 70% accuracy rate, 70, like 7-0, and it's not just all deep stuff too. I went through and charted it all. He has made like 28, 36, 19, 50, all that stuff, but here are his misses, 36 yards at Vanderbilt, 21 against South Carolina. He missed a 49er against Kentucky, but it was called back for a penalty, which he got to try again for 44 and made it. He also missed a 55-yarder in Arkansas, which, okay, fine. But then he biffs a 47 and a 35-yarder against South Dakota. Like, here's the thing. You are Missouri, you are in the SEC, and you use the offense that everyone seems to freaking hate, okay? When you play that style in this conference, you are in close games. I went back and checked. Eli Drinkwitz has been in 27 games as the Missouri's head coach. He has had 14 games decided by one score or less. Over half of the games that Missouri's been in under Eli Drinkwitz have been decided by one score or less. And now you're telling me that the kicker, one of three variables that help you win close games, has got, you know, brain worms? Bad. This is bad. And I'm not saying there needs to be a competition for kicker, but I'm a little curious what Blake Craig and Luke Bauer and everyone else on that roster can do because I'm worried that Harrison Mewes is mentally or physically broken. Talk me off a ledge, BK. So,
1: I will go the other way. I'm happy about this, Nate. I'm happy about it. And let me explain to you why I'm happy about it. Because you know what Missouri should do a whole lot less of? Kicking field goals. Yeah, they should do less of that. They should do less of punting on fourth down from inside of the opposition's 50-yard line the on the plus side of the field when it's like fourth and two. Specifically when you're going up against an FCS opponent. Definitely don't do that, specifically in the first half. Uh, that would never happen, though. So I-, I would like to see Eli Drinkwitz get more aggressive. And what is one way to incentivize that? Is by him having a field goal kicker that can't make field goals. And also him having a field goal blocking unit that seems to not ever be able to block the edge. Uh, so when you combine those two things, I am not exactly the most unhappy of campers. Um, that being said, I'm gonna be super upset whenever they lose a game because of this. So yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have my cake and eat it too.
2: Cool. Do we have a special teams coordinator on the roster? The uh, they added year? one, didn't they, technically? should be Eric Link, right? Because he's like special teams coordinator and tight ends and like everybody's got a hand. Eli
1: Drinkwitz is actually technically like the special teams guy now.
2: Well, I think he took that on this year. Good. Good. Really glad he's.
1: But yeah, Eli Link is technically listed as the special teams coordinator. Okay.
2: So, well, Eric inherited Harrison Mevis and that was good for a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'll give credit. Cayman Hayes did block a kick, okay? Or block a punt, I should say. That is a good thing. That is a special teams thing. Cool. It's the first one we've seen, I think, from under Eli Drinkwitz, I think. Um, But, yeah, little suspect on the blocking, which, again, first game, maybe you got some generous. And, yeah, now your field goal kicker is Mm. mortal. So, look, I am okay with this. I know in 2020... We were like, well, he gets super conservative in the red zone because he just hands off to Larry Roundtree like eight times and then kicks a field goal. And we, at the time, were like, okay, offensive line isn't great. You don't quite have your quarterback. You have a good running back. You have a good field goal kicker. I get it. Cool. You know, in 21, same thing. Beatty, 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 Beatty. Meebus, 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 Meebus. Okay. Well, he'll stop doing this when he has real receivers and a real offensive line. And now we're like, oh, God, you're still doing this? Okay. So I get your point. I do. I I get it. And there's not a lot of games that get decided, like, at the gun by a field goal. But it wouldn't be nice to have that as a, we feel really good about this, rather than, oh, I don't feel good about this, and we have to get a touchdown because our field goal kicker is is a little off right now. I I understand your argument. I don't 100% agree with it, but I see it.
1: Well, it it, it is going to be something that absolutely – ends up blowing up in my face as Eli Drinkwitz continues to manage the game the exact same way that he has previously, but it is the only way that I can cope with the fact that our thicker kicker might not be good anymore.
2: It's a damn shame. I hope he sells a lot of burgers. Let's talk about something positive. Let's go back to recruiting. Is Missouri got a new recruit? It wasn't all that long ago. His name is Elias Williams. He is from Florida. We're just adding to the Florida contingent, which I think is great. Uh, From Hudson, Florida, specifically Hudson High School in Florida. He is 6'4", 240, 17-year-old, or maybe an 18-year-old, I don't know. But he committed uh, September 1st. So that's cool. Um, BK, this is the third defensive end in this class, the second straight strong side defensive end. And like I said, the Floridian contingent just continues to grow. Uh, I know you haven't seen your, his tape, but what do you think that the staff is saying by adding yet another defensive end to this to this crop? Yo, did you look at the
1: roster? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all good. That's bye-bye. pretty much what they're saying. Like they they need to restock the shelves with defensive line players that can be here for more than a year or two. They had that massive transfer class two years ago now of inter inside defensive linemen. And then they had a couple of those guys who were obviously defensive ends that came in and helped. And then they had another class of defensive ends in the transfer portal this year. Uh, they, they just, they needed to bring in guys that can play off of the edge and have that as their primary position from the moment that they walk onto the team. So I think that's really what this is all about. It's a numbers game. And they needed guys that can play early. And I think that's part of why you're seeing like the size. Elias Williams, 6'4", 240. Jalen Brown, 6'6", 230. And he looks bigger than that. Um, Warner is a guy that is like ready to go on the SEC the moment that he walks through the door at 66265. They just they have a lot of bodies that profile to be ready to go quicker than maybe otherwise we've seen in the past. Yeah.
2: So Niles got Niles gaddy is gone after this year no matter what. Technically Johnny Walker Jr and Joe Moore could be done after this year. I don't think they will, but we'll see. And then after that, your defensive ends are Austin Firestone, D.J. Wesselak, Ja'Kai Lane, Serene Tunkara. So, yeah, Williams' one area will probably be ready, made to go day one, which is good, but you got to get that depth. And unless you want to hit the transfer portal, you need some organic growth, and this is a good way of doing that. Um, yeah, it's it's good. You know, Again, like you said, members game. We don't know which one of these are going to work out. We don't know who's going to be available in the portal. We don't know who's going to be sticking around, so just – address it at every level possible. And that's what they're doing. So I know that, you know, again, it, we, we sometimes get spoiled. Uh, thanks. Eli drink, but sometimes we get spoiled when you're like, Oh, four stars, five stars. Oh my God, this is great. And then you get a three star, you go, huh? Okay, cool. And you get less excited, but like, Every single one of these guys has the potential to make an impact, a positive impact. You just don't know which one it's going to be. You know the odds based off of the shining numbers and stars next to their name, but everybody's got that potential, and this is just another one. So, uh, yeah, welcome Elias. Like I say every time, sign on the dotted line in December. Let's get this thing going. Okay, last topic of the day. There's another football game that Missouri has decided to play. It's going to be recognized by the NCAA and everything. It's going to count for records, uh, both win and loss, and, of course, historical records as well. And Missouri is going to be playing Middle Tennessee. This is not the first time Missouri has played Middle Tennessee. They played him in 2003, back when Brad Smith had to have a heroic fourth quarter come from behind victory. Uh, they also played him in 2016, where we got our first dumb Barry Odom loss uh, the day the week before Halloween during homecoming and Uh, Tavius Mathers, tiny little guy just ran 300 yards all by his lonesome. Uh, we We got beat by middle Tennessee. This is what middle Tennessee does. They recruit speed, 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 speed. And their scheme is big play, big play, big play, big play, big play. If it works, boom, you are in a world of trouble. You are in a shootout and everything sucks. If it doesn't work, you're winning like 48 to 17. So, they have this style, BK. It's kind of an equalizer when it comes to talent. It's funky. All of their receivers are under 5'10". All of their offensive linemen are 6'4", like 280. All their defensive linemen are kind of small, but they're all very, very fast. They love to run up and down, and they like to hit haymakers. This defense also tends to give up big plays and make big plays, and then our offense is what it is. How do you feel heading into this game? Fine. Um,
1: I feel like this is a game that Missouri should win by three scores. Like, It's probably going to be, I, we did this last year, right? Where we were like, hey, this is an opponent that you're going to look at and you're going to say they're inferior to Missouri. And they are. And you're going to see the final score and you're going to be like, hey, this is not what we wanted to see, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. These are the types of games that you have to play to get you ready for teams like kentucky and south carolina and kansas state that are on the schedule later on in the year and so it's going to be probably closer than fans are comfortable with central michigan was kind of this way a couple of years ago as well that's kind of what i expect you'll win this one 40 to 20 and you'll walk away saying hey there was a lot of stuff that they need to get fixed and that's true there absolutely will be and then you'll see them against Kansas State, and we'll see what was real and what wasn't. But that's kind of how I feel about these types of games in general. It's why I like them more than South Dakota's, because I think you can actually kind of learn stuff in this game. You were never going to learn anything against South Dakota. Um, So I I always prefer to play this style of game compared to that. Although I understand that it's harder to get the W, which I get your point on that.
2: I do think Missouri should win. I think if they're A-game... It's not even close. B game, C game. You're probably going to be a little upset, maybe a little uncomfortable. Um, There are ways Missouri can win this. You know, if you if the ground game is half as good as we thought, we think they are against South Dakota. For the record, Missouri had a 60 percent rushing success rate against South Dakota, which, yo, uh, that is good. (laughs) They didn't even get that against uh, Abilene Christian last year for obvious reasons. But um, they have size on the line on the offensive line and. Running backs, both Nathaniel Pete and Cody Schrader, ran really well last week, and they have the potential to do again this week. Again, Middle Tennessee is looking for the big play. So if you can find a gap and exploit their aggression, I think you can run the ball really well. I also think you're going to hit on some big plays. So whether that's Brady Cook scrambling, whether that's Luther Burning getting a yak after a screen pass, or you know, Theo Weiss wiggling open, like I think there's going to be some bombs on both sides. And I think the the offense can take care of that. On defense, make the booms. Get get a couple turnovers too. Like let's let's get some active hands. It was really a pedestrian effort against South Dakota, which I understand. Like maybe just playing kind of shell defense, or you're not being as active. But like, I would like to see some interceptions. I would like to see a little bit more havoc because I think you can get that with this style of offense that uh, Middle Tennessee has run for 18 years now. So. I think it could be very entertaining. I think a third party with no dog in the fight would really like this kind of game because it's going to yeah. be pow, pow, boom, boom. I think we as Missouri fans are going to be uncomfortable, but I do think it's going to be a win. Uh, I saw Vegas at 17 and a half for Missouri as a favorite. What do you think? Feels about right. That's
1: kind of what I was saying. Like, I, I think Missouri should win this game by, like, 17 to 20 points, something around there. So I would probably take Mizzou minus the points because I think they're going to be incentivized to like play this game later into it. I think you'll see more from Missouri in this one. Um, I also think there were times where the defensive backs in the last game just kind of like didn't really show up. And I don't think you'll see that. They'll be They'll be into this game because of what you stated about the way that Middle Tennessee plays. So it'll be a situation where you'll you'll see the best of Ennis Rakestra, you'll see the best of uh, Abram Strain, you'll see the best of some of those guys at safety this week, and I I think that'll make it for a more compelling watch as well. I think you'll see it. I think you'll see a takeaway from Azu's defensive backfield in this one.
2: And Jalen Carlos is going to play, so that'll
1: oh, which is nice. Yeah,
2: yeah. So here's the here's the other question: Do we Sam do we see Sam Horn, and if we do, when do we see him?
1: No, I'll say no.
2: Yeah. I am also going to say no, but my hope is that we do see some other backups. I hope that it it seems like this staff is never to. comfortable. I don't think so either. Especially if you since you didn't the see them
1: last week, there's zero reason why you'll see
2: them this they're, week. They're never comfortable with the lead. They're never comfortable with the lead, not enough to put any backups in. So I would love for it to be 50 to nothing and we see Marquise Carasio and DJ Weselak and all of those guys get, get trying out there, but. I, I can't imagine that it's going to be a gap of points big enough for them to feel okay. So I am with you. I'm going to say it now. Yeah. And then we gear up for Kansas State. The real game. The real season starts then. Um, so, yeah, that will be next week. That's next week's problem. That's next week's show. But for now, BK, what are your closing thoughts for today? I, I
1: hope that Missouri fans are excited about the facts that You have a quarterback that won the job. And while it does feel to some as if he was handed this job, I I promise you guys, that was not the case. They tried all last offseason to upgrade from him. They brought in every transfer quarterback available. And it ended up with Brady Cook as being the best guy, at least of the guys that were willing to come here. This year, they did the same thing. They, They tried to bring in transfers. They continued to develop Sam Horn. They talked all offseason about Sam Horn, like being more comfortable, looking the part, figuring out his diet, figuring out what it was like to be a college student, like all of these different things. And in the end, with a healthy shoulder and another year in the offense, Brady Cook beat him. And so I, I hope Mizzou fans are excited about that. I know that many are not. And I hope that for those that aren't, I hope Brady Cook proves them wrong. And I think that he has an opportunity to do exactly that this season because I think the defense is very good. I think he's got some playmakers that he's going to be able to trust. I think Luther Burden looks like a different player. I think he's going to have a Dom Lovett type of season this year. And if you have all of those things to come together in an offensive line that we didn't really talk about, by the way, that played, I think, really well against South Dakota, especially in the running game, Mm -hmm. this could be a fun team, man. It's it's going to take a lot of stuff to come together um, for us to be able to really believe in it. And then it comes down to what they do against Kansas State. And we've known all along that was the game that will determine the trajectory of the year. So yeah. uh congratulations to Brady Cook. Happy for him, and I'm excited to see what it looks like.
2: Yeah. Go buy some, some emos. Eat some prevel <laughs> and celebration for Brady Cook. That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And of course you can follow Rock and flagship at Rock M Nation and the podcasting outlet at Rock M Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M I Z Z O U.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
3: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply.
3: Thank you everyone for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple podcast app or for ISO the Google podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify Just search for rock M radio. Uh, and if you like other sports fans, first course network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major league, baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and and read about it is a great great network full of really fantastic podcasts so look them up and subscribe uh to any and all of those podcasts uh rock m radio will be back with more episodes coming soon thanks